Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Scan the QR code to visit our website at AULC.us and find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and TalkShoe. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word again today, we know every time we look at it, we read it, we, we find something new and we see something that we didn't see before. We know that you've done that on purpose, Lord. And as we approach what we consider the Christmas season, the season of your birth, we know that there are more and more scriptures pertaining to us and today than ever before. And we just ask that you'll open our, our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts to what you have to tell us. And like your scriptures say, let those that have ears hear. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Traconius and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it exciting to watch the big, heavy construction machinery. Now, in my job with NDOT, I get to see this a lot as I travel around. I get to see these machines building roads, other machines building houses and high-rises and buildings. And we see a lot of these bulldozers and road graders and backhoes and cranes and tractors and you name it. And a lot of the stuff that I see in NDOT is used to move earth because building a road isn't just putting a thin layer out there. They actually go down three or four feet and have all these different layers of rock and asphalt and concrete and what have you to build these roads. And it takes some heavy duty equipment to do that. Now, perhaps you've been on a trip or you've traveled through Indiana any time in your life and you see a construction worker holding a stop sign or a slow sign and that's all too often we see that everywhere now because there's always roads being constructed but as you are sitting there in traffic 
usually 110 degrees in the shade and you're burning up in your air conditioning, you notice these big machinery out there doing maybe moving across the road or they're working on one side of the road and whatever. In cities, you'll see other machinery building buildings and high rises and all. Cranes lifting stuff hundreds of feet in the air to build a building taller than you can really see up. And this preparation for new roads and buildings is exciting stuff. And, but it takes a lot of preparation to build a road or to build a building. You just don't go one day and say, I think I'm going to do this. doesn't work that way. There's months of preparation that goes into it. And just like the earth movers and the other heavy machinery prepare to build a new road, John the Baptist came ahead of Jesus to prepare for his arrival into the world and into the ministry. We read in the Bible where John is sent to make ready the way of the Lord and to make his path straight. And the message for each one of us today, as well as for this man named John, was we are to also continue to make preparation for the Lord. We're to prepare, about to prepare to celebrate Christmas. And we have all these opportunities ahead of us to share God's love and to share his joy with others. The machines that we talk about are powerful, but so is God's love. Now, can you imagine God coming to you and telling you, I want you to go tell everyone that Jesus is coming. That's your job. I want you to go do it. And you're going to say, I don't know how to do that. And then God's going to say, it's okay. I'm there with you. I'm going to help you do it. Imagine having to be John the Baptist and preparing the way for the greatest man that would ever live on this earth. Imagine being the advanced person for Christ. How would you handle it? Now, I know myself, I know I'd be intimidated. I'd be going, why me? I don't have the credentials to be a PR person. I don't have the, the skills needed to do this big of a task. There's got to be a million other people that's more qualified than me. Why don't you pick them? Don't pick me. And I would have to stop and get a hold of myself and say, well, no, God's got his idea that I can do this. So apparently I can. I just don't know it yet. After all, God picked me for this job. So I know that he, he wouldn't just pick anyone willy-nilly. He knows what he's doing. And besides, I know that's how God works. You see, God pick, picked Abraham. He was a, an ordinary, just a nobody from Ur, from the Chaldees. And then he picked Moses, who had been discredited both as a Jew and as an Egyptian. And then he picked Peter, who smelled like fish. And he flew off of the handle every time someone would say something wrong to him. And then God picked Saul. Saul had been out murdering Christians, and God still picked him to do something good. And they all did all right, didn't they? Because God, if he picks somebody for a job, things will work out. Whatever I don't know, God knows, and he'll manage to teach me. Besides, the call would be really dramatic. 
How often would you think you would hear a voice from heaven saying, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will be made straight and the rough ways smooth. All flesh will see God's salvation. Now, if that didn't inspire you, you're probably hopeless because I know that would get me at least perking up and going, hmm, I think I can do this. I would certainly get inspired about being an advanced person for Christ. First, I'd want to get a commitment from the best ad agency in the world. I would hopefully get the people who did all the Volkswagen ads back in the day, back in the 60s. And those ads are still airing on the internet and other places today. And they were great and they were creative. If they could make Volkswagen look good, what do you think they can do for Christ? And then, of course, I'd want some music. I'd probably get Taylor Swift to put on a concert, or maybe I would go as big as the New York Philharmonic and do something very symphonic that way. The San Francisco Opera House could put together something with a professional uh, marching band and something like the, the Grand March from Ida, people carrying Jesus on their shoulders, and we could even work it out that we could march off the stage, into the aisles, out into the streets with spotlights hung from helicopters. We'd make it a great pageant. And then there would come the official receptions. The president, he would host a dinner party at the White House for a thousand or so of Jesus' closest friends. And then we would do something at Buckingham Palace. After all, the queen is the head of the Church of England. And then, of course, we'd have an audience with the Pope. We couldn't really leave the Pope out now, can we? And what fun that would have traveling first class all around the world sitting next to Christ. I can't think of a better job anywhere. And of course, there's a lot of little details that go with a job like that. For instance, one of my first questions to God would be, can you give me a ballpark idea of what kind of budget do I have? How much money can I spend? And God would answer, well, there is no budget. Just do your best with what you've got. Do my best with what I've got? Are you kidding? I don't have anything. And I know this is important. I mean, the Messiah is coming to divide all of history and everything before the Messiah will be known as B.C. And everything after the Messiah is going to know, be known as A.D. And this is going to be huge. I mean, you said it yourself that all flesh shall see, shall see the salvation of God. Lord, I can't do that without a budget. You've got to help me here. And of course, God would reply, I will help you. And then I'd say, well, I know that you're going to help me, and I don't want to seem ungrateful, but nothing comes for free in this world. We need good people. We need the best people. And we need the best people, and they cost money. Lots and lots of money. Lord, I know you own cattle on a thousand hills. How about selling a few of them so we can afford some of these great people? God would say, well, now, Rob, you don't need a budget. Some of my best people do their work with no budget at all. And guess what? You're going to be one of them. But Lord, without any budget, I might as well just go out in the desert and shout into the wind. And God would say, ah, now you're getting the idea. Well, sorry about that, but, you know, God's ways aren't our ways. 
We tend to think one way, and God's already got it planned out. And just because we know how this world works, God knows better. Has it ever seemed strange to you that God picked John the Baptist to prepare a way for Jesus? Have it ever seemed strange to you that John went out into a desert, the middle of a desert, to preach, a place where nobody lived? Has it ever seemed strange to you that God would inspire Isaiah to say, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight? Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will be brought straight. The rough ways smooth. All flesh will see God's salvation. Isn't it surprising how God would inspire such beautiful words and then pick somebody all rough and torn like John the Baptist, almost a hostile man, to make him the way to prepare for the Lord? You see, John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus. John was a pretty close relative to Jesus, probably a cousin, as we see in Luke 1.36. John and Jesus were close in age, and they were close friends as they grew up. They grew up together, and they played together. Before John was born, his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were elderly. They were too old to have a baby. But the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, announcing that Elizabeth would soon have a baby. Just as an angel earlier centuries told Abraham that Sarah, his elderly wife, was going to have a baby. Now the name of Zechariah's angel was Gabriel. Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, John's father, and later Gabriel's going to appear to Mary, Jesus' mother. And in both cases, the angel's going to announce the birth of a baby. Zechariah first, then Mary, John first, then Jesus. The old woman Elizabeth, she did get pregnant, as we see in Luke 1.57, just as Sarah did in Genesis 21. And six months later, when Elizabeth was getting uncomfortably pregnant, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to say, guess what, you're next. You're going to have the next baby, and you're going to call him Jesus. Now, there were problems with both pregnancies. Elizabeth was too old to have a baby. Mary was too young. Mary didn't even have a husband at the time. She was just a virgin. So how could she have a baby? So both Elizabeth and Mary would require a miracle in order to get pregnant. Both of them experienced a miracle. They did get pregnant, and they both had a baby. Elizabeth first, then Mary. John first, then Jesus. So you see the pattern here. Elizabeth first, then Mary. John first, then Jesus. And John started his life one step ahead of Jesus. John lived his life one step ahead of Jesus. And John died one step ahead of Jesus. Now we don't know much about John's childhood, just like we don't know much about Jesus' childhood, except for the story of Jesus when he visited the temple when he was 12 years old. Other than that, we don't know anything. The next we hear about either John or Jesus, John emerges, emerges as God's messenger, preparing the way of the Lord, making Jesus' path straight and the rough places smooth so that all flesh would see God's salvation. So it was John first preparing the way for Jesus. And once John had set the stage, Jesus would begin his ministry. John first, then Jesus. 
The angel came to John's father before coming to Jesus' mother. John was born first. Six months later, Jesus was born. John started preaching repentance first out in the wilderness. Jesus came second. John would die first. Jesus would die second. And even though John the Baptist was always first in the sequence, he was never, ever first in importance. John said of Jesus, I baptize you with water, but he comes who is mightier than I. The strap of those sandals I am not worthy to loosen. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, back in those days, just loosening the strap of a sandal was left up to a slave. When someone asked John if he was the Messiah, John not only denied that he was the Messiah, but he said he wasn't even worthy to serve as the Messiah's slave. John always made it clear he was little more than someone who was just sent the way to prepare. Both John and Jesus both preached repentance. And we tend to think of repentance as feeling guilty, but repentance is doing more of a doing word than it is a feeling word. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a change of seeing things differently and doing things differently. Once we begin to see things rightly, then we probably feel bad about doing them so wrong for so long. And the repentance isn't mostly about feeling bad, but repentance is about beginning to see things differently and beginning to move in a new direction. In the military, there's a command called about face. It demonstrates what is meant by repentance. When a sergeant says about face, the soldiers turn and they face in the opposite direction that they're facing. Likewise, repentance involves turning and facing in the opposite direction. And John came preaching a Baptist of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now the Greek word here translated forgiveness is aphesis. The meaning of aphesis goes way beyond forgiveness. In the next chapter, Jesus will be talking about being anointed and among other things to deliver aphesis or forgiveness to those who are oppressed. So while aphesis means forgiveness, it also means deliverance. It also means to set something free. Seems kind of logical, doesn't it? When we repent, we follow a new and healthier vision. When we turn around and go in a new direction, we're not only forgiven, but we're also set free. Now, it seems a little strange to me, but with all the notions at his disposal, why God picked John the Baptist for all this important job that he had ahead. Now, I don't know, and I don't know why he picked Abraham or Moses or Peter or Saul, because God works in mysterious ways and his wonders for us to perform for him. In fact, God always seems to delight in working through humble and lowly people in order to accomplish his work. And if you think about it, you'll probably find that's true in your life. Stop and think about this for a minute. You may have to think back. Who was the first person that introduced you to Christ? Think about that for a minute. Who prepared the way for you to know Christ? Who made the path straight for you? Who filled in the valleys and lowered the mountains so that you could see the Lord? Who straightened out the crooked roads for you and made the rough places smooth? Who did all those things 
that you would be able to see the salvation of the Lord? Who did all those things for you? Who introduced you to Jesus? Who led you along the paths to make them straight? Who did those things for you? Now, I've asked this people of several, this, several people this question. The answers are interesting. Some people talk about their mother or their father starting them on the lives of faith. They talk about the saints that they had known. Not saints of great renown, but ordinary people of extraordinary faith. Ordinary people with extraordinary compassion and kindness. The kind of ordinary people that you meet in churches like ours each and every day. Now, I thought that was significant. It said to me that people who are most often responsible for preparing the way for the Lord are people just like you and me sitting in this church this morning. Most of you would say, well, that's not me. I'm just completely ordinary. I have no talent. I have no skill. But the fact remains that most of Christ's work is done by people like me and you. Georgia Harkness, a great Christian author, put it this way. She said, the most potent evangelism is which takes place daily, weekly, yearly throughout the work of the local church. And when she speaks of the local church, she's not talking about the building on the corner with the steeple on top. She isn't talking about the lumber and the stained glass and the carpet. She's talking about the people because the church isn't a building. The church is people like me and you, the people who sit in the pews on Sunday, the people who prepare the church dinners, the people who teach Sunday school classes, the people who sponsor youth groups, the people who sing in the choir, the people who prepare the communion, <clears throat> excuse me, and the people who serve as ushers. Those people, you people, are the people of God. It's these people, it's people like you, who prepare the way of the Lord, who make his path straight, who fill in the valleys, who flatten out the mountains, who make the crooked roads straight, and who make the rough ways smooth, so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. God called John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord in the first century. He calls us to prepare the way of the Lord in the 21st century. And we do that every week when we get together as we worship together, as we invite our friends and relatives and co-workers to worship with us, as we eat together and sing together and praise God together. And we do all these things and we prepare the way of the Lord. Dawson Trotman put it this way. He says, soul winners are not soul winners because of what they know, but because of who they know and how well they know him and how much they long for others to know him. So during this Advent season, let us receive Christ again in our lives. Let us make Christ Lord again of our lives. Let us allow Christ to remake us and remold us and refashion us again so that once again, he might allow us the privilege of preparing his way into the Lord. In Lincoln, Nebraska, the local clan Grand Dragon a man named Larry Trapp took it upon himself to harass Michael Weiser, a cantor in the local Jewish synagogue. Trapp made a threatening late-night phone call to him. He sent him hate mail. He went on and on, but Weiser refused to take the bait. He neither ran nor hid. He didn't even try to get revenge. Instead, he just called Trapp, who was confined to a wheelchair, and offered to take him to the grocery store. Trapp wouldn't answer the phone, but Weiser left voicemails offering to help. That, too, went on and on. 
Finally, the clansman trap called Wiser and said, What do you want? You're harassing me. When in reality, it was the first way around. But then Trap called and said, I want to get out of this, and I don't know how. Wiser said, I'll bring dinner and we'll talk. When they met, Trap, this clansman, this grand dragon, broke into tears. Their talk went well, and eventually Trap moved in with the Wisers and remained with them until his death. And when I read that story, I was struck by Trap's comment that I want to get out of this, and I don't know how. And that's a wonderful insight there because imagine what our lives would be if we could have that kind of insight regarding our sins and our prejudices and our enemies. I want to get out of this. I just don't know how. That's the kind of insight that John the Baptist was bringing people. Our text says they came preaching the Baptist baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we could legitimately translate that he came preaching the Baptist baptism of the repentance for deliverance from sins or to set the people free from their sins. And with regard to the story, let me ask you a question. Who do you think benefited more, this Jewish wiser or the Klansman Trap when they finally worked past the gulf that separated them? Trap, the one forgiven, obviously benefited because he finally got the monkey off his back. Wiser, the one who forgave, also benefited by refusing to take the bait, by refusing to answer the hate with hate, by reaching out and by caring. Both men benefited by losing an enemy and gaining a friend. That's what John the Baptist was offering when he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was helping people get the monkeys off of their backs. He was helping them to drop their load of guilt and he was making it possible for them to stand up straight and to walk into a guilt-free future. And later Jesus did the same. He came preaching with repentance and forgiveness. John first, Jesus second. But now it's our turn. First, Christ calls us to repent and receive forgiveness, and that's hard. We find it difficult to believe that anyone can forgive us, especially God. But He can and He will. And second, Christ calls us to forgive those who have sinned against us. When we forgive others, we set them free. But most of all, we set ourselves free. And that's hard to do too. We need God's help to receive forgiveness, but we need God's grace to give forgiveness. Finally, Christ calls us to proclaim two things, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness without repentance is like pouring forgiveness into a bucket that has a hole in the bottom of it. The bucket never will get full, but our repentance plugs the hole and makes it possible for God to fill us up to the brim with forgiveness. Charles Schultz, who created the the famous Peanuts cartoon, he got a lot of things right in his strips. In one of his cartoon strips, Lucy says, Now, Charlie Brown, we, you must realize that you're going to reap what you sow. What you put into life is what you get out of life. That's it. No more, no less. In response, Charlie Brown shook his head and said, I kind of like a little bit more of a margin of error. When John preached a badness, baptism of forgiveness of sins, he was telling us that God is clearly on the side of a great big margin of error. Embrace that because first receive forgiveness, then second give forgiveness. We need not be rich or famous in order to prepare the way for the Lord. We need not be well educated or sophisticated to prepare the way for the Lord. We only need to be servants of the Lord. We only need to be people who have received Christ in our own lives 
that we might be enabled to help others receive him into their lives. And that's our Lord's message for this Lord's Day, and I hope you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We find your grace everywhere we look, and we thank you for that. And it doesn't matter whether we're looking throughout the Bible or we're looking specifically, you always point us to the right way. You always point us to the answer, and we thank you for that, Lord. As we leave today and go to our separate homes, apartments, friends, families, dinners, what have you, we just ask, Lord, that you be with us. Put a hedge of protection around us. Keep your healing hands on us, your loving arms around us. And let us have another beautiful day. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Go out this week. Be a blessing and be blessed. Because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next Sunday. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2023. to All rights reserved.